Uh, greetings, friends. It's Chapo. We're back again Thursday, April 28th, 2022. And look, uh, we, had a, we had a good run on Twitter while it lasted. But unfortunately, I will now be using this opportunity and this show to announce that I am leaving the social media platform Twitter now that uh, the person who owns it is not, um, doesn't reflect the values that, that, that uh, I hold dear. And, you know, if a company like Twitter isn't in the hands of, you know, socially progressive voices and leaders, then I don't want to be a part of it. And now that the bad guy's in control of it, you know, no more posts. No more movie posts from your boy Will because Elon Musk, sir, what you stand for and the values you represent are not what Twitter stands for and not what, not what, I've, not what I've grown to love about this social media platform. Fellas, what do you, what do you think? Are you, are you decamping for for greener pastures or, you know, like a more, more humanitarian social media outlets. You know, Twitter used to be known for things of the day, like being bad. Now it's owned by a man who's known for being bad. <laughs> <laughs> used to be that you avoided being the main character. Now, the character who owns it would be otherwise known as a villain in works of fiction. But this is real life. I think that it's interesting that a lot of us found our chosen families who we filled up Friendsgiving and Friends Easter and Friends Christmas with on Twitter. And now we're going to be in a family burial plot because we will be executed by the villain Elton Musk. Well, it's a one sad of the... day. It's a sad day. And, you know, it used to be that Twitter was owned by literal kings and princes, which was beautiful. That was it was perfect for a fairy tale such as Twitter, a real-life fairy tale. But now it's owned by the man who owns Prince's Skeleton. I don't know if that's true. (laughs) Um, Sad day, and if anyone would like to come to my house to end their life with pills that I've sourced with me, um, you are welcome. It used to be Twitter was um, partially owned by BlackRock. And now that Elon Musk owns it, it makes me want to smoke rocks because he's he's crazy. Ooh, okay, he's crazy. Okay, he's okay, a bad guy. Okay, um, it used to be that Twitter was owned by BlackRock. Now it's owned by a guy whose family owned black guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's it's a new era. It's a new era. I mean, like you know, I'm I'm already seeing. I'm already being shadow banned. I've already lost probably ten thousand followers. I expect to lose more in the coming days. But you know, uh, you you can't you can't fire me. I quit Twitter because um, I mean, look, I like you know, in our discussions about this. I mean, we talked about what we all know is coming. What we all know is coming for voice independent voices like us. They're going to systematically remove all of the things that we enjoy using Twitter for. That's right. Elon Musk is banning everyone from posting food gore that can be shared in group DMs. There's no more food gore. You can't share like a sort of bright pink chicken breast made by a submental cretin who lives under a staircase. <laughs> um, you can't do you can't post like a certain barbershop that has one thing that makes it a little different than other barbershops in the world. Uh, you know, like, I just, we, we know what's coming. I mean, I've already seen speculation about this, but, you know, on, on the new, quote-unquote, free speech Twitter, you will not be free to p- wish happy birthday to actors. That's going away. That's being taken away from us. And we'll, 
she said, you can no longer ask Garlic Corgi to juice this on a boat. No, no, that's done. That's done because they think that's manipulation and bot activity, and it's not. It's real people doing that. Uh, you can't, like, something that's really, it's not close to my heart. It's just, like, a friend of mine uh, who does this, but you can't be in a DM and make increasingly catty remarks about people's appearances, uh, specifically their gum to tooth ratio. And for my friend, not me, that's very upsetting. It's just, it, you know, we're, we're going to lose a lot of the brightest, most independent voices thanks to this new, this new, uh, this new coup by Mr. By Mr. Musk and the, the, the forces of uh, free speech. No, thank you. Um, I, I'd, like, I'd like free people. How about that? I'd like free yeah. minds. It's a sad time. Um, I did, I was um, like his thing that he was saying, Elon Musk, where he's like, we're not going to do like any censorship that goes beyond the law, which I guess means that they'll like verify accounts that post like simulated illegal porn and shit. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I mean, you know, like I'm, I'm pretty, I'm very much into free expression, but um, like, stuff that is allowed by the law is such a wide berth that it's like if he really followed through with it like no one would advertise well also uh you know every country has the same uh statutes about (laughs) so that makes it easier because of course you know it's it's only in one country like there's no doesn't need to be international and there are wildly different uh legal requirements in different countries that impact like the universal standard they have to handle uh, hold so that's not a problem they don't have to worry about that what do you what do you think about like the projection that he's gonna back out just because it's like it's would be so hard for him to follow through on like what elon musk the brand wants and what how, what you would actually have to do to make money out of twitter well if he can't make money off it is the thing like the, the only way this works is if he's basically using it as a way to liquefy some of that tesla position into real money without spooking uh, all of the idiot investors who are keeping it suspended in the air where it is so that in a couple of years he can take Twitter uh, public again and then, you know, make all the money off of the uh, the IPO. Uh, yeah. And it's that's that's the only way that like this thing can make him money because it doesn't make money consistently. He, the, the amount of money he'd have to he's going to have to borrow to pay for it is going to be the service on it is going to be more than Twitter has ever made in a year. Yeah, it's I'm like now 70, 30, 70 percent think it's still going to happen. 30 percent think it won't just because like there are just so many moving parts because he's basically like all his wealth. He has like 200 billion dollars that are tied up in a version of Bitcoin where if he sells one percent of it, the rest of it plummets. And the the thing backing it is like it's true. Maybe the most overvalued stock I have ever seen in my entire life. So I, yeah, yeah, like this is what you would need to do to get it out. But it just, it it seems like it could be more trouble than it's worth for him. I mean, either way, I don't think. I think the biggest change that would happen to Twitter if he owns it is just that like the moderation doesn't really change. None of that really changes because it it like can't change that much, or else like it becomes an even bigger boondoggle for him. But just the culture change, like the feeling, like enough enough uh, triggered libs leave Twitter because he owns it. That it like makes Twitter seem different, and then like conservative conservatives are like, "Oh, look, he fixed it. Like it's good now." I I really doubt that many people will leave Twitter. I mean, not for 
Apparently some are now, but everybody will be back. Where else are you going to go? You can go to fucking Mastodon. Like, look at all the conservatives have been going. There's how many billions of dollars has been pumped into Twitter alternatives on the right that nobody uses. Or if they use them, they use them. And then they go on Twitter to try to get people to like go and click on their fucking gab account or something. And nobody does. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Here's a way. Here's a way Elon Musk could monetize Twitter. You know, like have sort of like like uh, subscription like tiers where if you can like actually like subscribe to Twitter and you'd be the highest tier, you can be like Elon Musk and use it to um, uh, <laughs> do do stock crimes. You can use it to uh, wildly inflate and pump and dump stocks that you, uh, you, you have a position on. So and that, coins. Uh, don't forget. Yeah. And uh, apes. Let's not forget apes. But, you know, I worry about I worry about our 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 meme, our meme overlord. Because, you know, Felix, like you said, if uh, if one of his bitcoins goes away, then like the whole thing crumbles. And then, you know, like I'm, this is just me speculating here. But I think a lot of his backers or alleged backers who are sort of uh, how shall I put this um, Mexican gentlemen involved in a family business, a family owned and operated <laughs> concern. May, I mean, like, look, it. it's, it's going to be a tough margin call. You know, like, you know, it's, it's going to be it's going to be rough for Mr. Musk. And I, I just I hope that doesn't happen. Yeah. It would be funny if, like, the certain uh, family business involved in logistics and uh, the pharmaceutical business, if, if he, like, he just, he sells, like, a huge amount of Tesla to continue servicing debt and operate Twitter, and they're like, well, I, I guess we need to launder our money through this. And they just start making those 200K viral tweets that are like, porches hit different in the autumn. <laughs> Like they have to launder their money through vibrator and fucking galaxy light ads. The cartoon Sicario's new job is to waterboard 21 year olds to come up with viral tweets. Middle seat hits different. Yeah. No, duffel bags didn't have to go as hard as they did. It's like uh, the at Sinaloa account. It's just like a photo of like a plate with a fork and knife. Anyone remember these? Yeah. 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 Yeah, just, yeah, that would be a tough way to launder. Uh, yeah, family. A, a family. No, we're not saying uh, cartel. We're not saying Tesla is a front to launder money for the cartel. We are explicitly not saying that. This is a different yeah. business. Oh, and also, uh, just in addition to that, we have no information about Deutsche Bank. If anyone, oh yeah, we I'm don't not, know yeah. anything about it. And if we did, no. we have no intention of telling anyone, the investigators or journalists, about it. Yeah, I think like if anyone were to write a story on Deutsche Bank, it should be A, about how it's just like any other bank and B, how there should be more ATMs for it. And that's really the only problem with it. I don't even know what Deutsche Bank is. I mean, what's a bank? I'd like to get that on the record right now. Don't know what it is. Never heard of it. Never heard of the concept. So that's uh, yeah, that's uh, that's the the new new Twitter, Mr. Musk. And I don't know. It's just like... uh, I'm just I, I, I just want it to be uh, done with one way or the other because I'm just so sick of hearing like other people praising Elon Musk or people who are like afraid of him because very like, just... I have the funniest part for me, though, is the people who as soon as it was announced that the purchase had been accepted said, my God, all my metrics are reversing. I've been oppressed by Twitter <laughs> for years and now oh, oh my, I'm going viral again. And I, I, I'm oh, my God, I feel like the, it, like I've. There's new air. Literally nothing has changed. It's going to take months for this to even be uh, authorized if it goes through at all. Nothing has changed, which really proves that Havana syndrome is the key metaphor to understand everything in contemporary America. Like everyone is a miserable fucking wreck 
they are unable to articulate exactly what is wrong in their lives. And they just, and they're locked into these, uh, structures like fucking Twitter that they have addicted to and that provide them with nothing but misery, but a comfortable, reliable misery that they become, uh, completely dependent on. And, have created a fantasy world where there's some evil malefactor making their experience bad. And it's all literally in their head. Like there's no, no one is soft blocking, shadow banning you. You're not being suppressed. It's just, you're not getting what you want out of the experience of being yeah. online every day, which of course you can't. Cause it sucks. It's a miserable yeah. experience for everybody. You can't be happy doing that. What are you I'm fucking insane? I actually know so, it's like, oh, no, Elon Musk is going to maybe six months from my buy this. And then, oh, my God, all of a sudden somebody turned off the uh, the microwave machine that was cooking my organs <laughs> <laughs> like that scene in Better Call Saul when he's in the bed and he's got uh, where uh, Chuck's in the bed, the hospital bed with his electromagnetic uh, uh, allergy. And they turn on the th machine underneath his bed and he doesn't even right realize it because he doesn't know. That's everyone now. I mean, on, on the on the topic of uh, shadow banning and the algorithm, you know, spiking um, uh, conservative or you know heterodox content, I would actually pay Twitter to hide my content from ninety five percent of the people who follow me. <laughs> that would I would I, love it if Twitter were shadow banning me. It would make my well, fucking, I mean, make, this make is my the experience thing you might get actually out of, out of Elon. Yeah. If he really goes ham, we might see him like throw some really wacky ideas out there, like some sort of Twitter elite package. Where you get like a totally curated experience. I would pay for it. Okay, Elon, are you listening? Twitter elite tier. I want to make it so Michael Caine has to reply to me when I reply to him when he does posts like, hello, hello, it's Michael. And when I say hi, Michael, I want him to say hello back. That's, all, have, that's what I'm asking from the elite tier of Twitter. I have a few suggestions that I think everyone could get behind. I think if you're a verified account, girls' avi should be auto-enlarged. <laughs> I think that if a girl follows you uh, and she's locked, you don't know you don't get to read her timeline like that's personal, but you get to you know kind of see what she looked like. Some of the media grid, not all of it. I'm not greedy. Um, you should get ten clicks we, through the media grid on a locked account. Yeah. Girls have to ha say if they have a boyfriend or are married when they follow you. <laughs> Girls have to have stories that I can reply to. It's not right that there's only one social media where I can do this. I, I will say the one change I have experienced is that it used to be like once a day I would get a DM in my message request from like a targeted individual who is yelling at me. And I've gotten zero since this deal started. So I think I think like I don't know, either I start I stopped targeting individuals, that's possible, or they turned off the targeted individual bot. <laughs> uh Matt, I remember uh you you had a comment uh, just like the other week or so about like how like all there's all these new shows there's all these new streaming shows about like sort of entrepreneurial fraud you know like there it's about you know there's the WeWork show there's the the Uber show uh, there's the show about um, uh, Elizabeth Holmes uh, there's a whole there's a whole crop of them and you made the point that like e Elon is so big. That like if his shit goes down, there's not going to be any streaming shows. Yeah, there's to, not going to be make some about wacky, Elon. wacky Hulu program with Brendan Fraser doing a <laughs> funny accent. We do. We, we, we will you'll be able to do a puppet show like inside the gutted Kroger you're living in about him. But that's about it. 
Yeah, if the Elon bubble bursts, I I really hope you have like a VAT suit from Fallout. It, it would be probably the end of civilization. That is the size and interconnectivity of the Elon bubble. I will say the things that some people would say after the Elon bubble burst would be hilarious because this deal has kicked off the first inaugural dick riding Olympics. Oh my God. Yeah. It's... Like anyone, man, anyone who, who any, any guy who's over 45 years of age and has written a book called like the politics of me versus you getting over our partisan <laughs> divide has been dick riding Elon Musk with the most intensity and talent. Uh, like I, I feel like I'm watching like them invent the Kareem Abdul-Jabbar skyhook of dick riding every <laughs> single day since this deal started. And even it's to the point that I think like if he the bubble burst and he lost all his money and caused like the greatest recession in the last hundred years, people would still be like, just wait till he comes back. You'll see he's at his most innovative when he's cornered and $400 billion in debt. It's like, uh, you know, uh, a year zero plus 20, like year, year 20 after the, the must collapse. Like people are people are like scrawling on fucking city walls. Like he's trying to extend the light of cannibalism into the stars. He's trying to, <laughs> he's, he's trying to extend. Oh, I mean, actually, the funny thing is he actually is trying to extend the light of debt slavery into Mars. Uh, you see the thing about who he basically is going to have indentured servants on his Martian colony, which, by the way, will never happen. Will never happen. Just well, like absolutely will never, never happen. happen. Yeah, it's never going to happen. It's all just. It, see, this is the fascinating thing about Elon Musk to me is like Felix, like what you were saying about the dick riding Olympics going on. That like, they, they, like the for the the sort of tranche of uh, men over the age of forty five in this country who make between seventy grand and like mid six figures a year. Like he he is their hero, and the thing is like like so much of his like more more than any other like billionaire or or capitalist like him like so much of his success is tied up or in his brand and the public perception of him as like an epic meme guy who's saving humanity through like technology and investment in I don't know yeah like in in moon colonies and electric cars and shit like that but like i i just think it's like he he pays people to invent toys for him whether it's his fucking flamethrower or the tesla or his fucking rockets and and then he gets to play with them and claim credit like I invented this shit. And I think like for that for that trance of men that I'm talking about, they all think that like they are doing what he's doing and they are on the path to like also saving humanity. And that like anyone anyone who uh you know criticizes him or makes fun of him is just sort of like it's it's not really like that they're a hater, but they're just like they're they're shocked that someone as purely altruistic and brilliant as Elon Musk could be, you know, sub subjected to such scorn. Because, you know, really he's He's such an important thinker, and he really is going to save humanity. I, that, that must be stressed. He is going to save humanity. Right. Because these are people who that... have given up, I mean, and totally understandably, given up on politics, given up on the idea that there's any collective so solution to our problems, but also you know, want to believe that there's going to be a future, so that means it has to come technologically. And, and Musk is a personal embodiment of the like techno-utopia that they're still dangling like a carrot in front of our eyes. And Ironically, like all these people who have given up on politics are all subconsciously part of this huge political project to uh, protect this man and to ride the fuck out of his dick because they really do think that as long as he's allowed to cook, uh, America, ha a humanity has like a, a horizon that we can we can strive towards. And so that, that actually gives them 
a a political project to to uh, uh the Elon the Elon uh, escort mission the eternal Elon escort mission. I will say that like the like battery that they use in the Tesla is like an interesting invention. I I kind of like uh yeah forgive me I have trouble believing that the guy who's posting brace yourself uh white girls are coming with their pumpkin spice spice latte memes that he invented that. I think it's more like it's like saying a guy who licensed some subway franchises invented the sandwich. Yeah. But um yeah, no. I mean he's I guess he's the first billionaire in god knows how many years who you can at least pretend invented something because everyone else is like, you know, John Arnold or Warren Buffett. It's like a guy who's really good at spreadsheets. Uh, well, Matt, your your comments on uh, uh, just the um, uh, the the pe- people abandoning uh, politics and while also creating and being working at the service of a quite a real political project, um, techno utopia or techno dystopia, which brings me to uh, the I guess reading series or you know uh, the, the the a big thing this week uh, that you know like uh, the the Vanity Fair article about Peter Thiel and sort of the new new right. And this kind of like uh, the, the strange new places that they're taking, um, the <laughs> de- demanding a society uh, owned and controlled by billionaires is going. So uh, it's, it's actually it's, it's a good article. It's interesting. Uh, I think there's some like, uh, you know, like a pr- pretty interesting, like, um, I don't know, pr- portrayal of like who these people are and like how they think of themselves and like, you know, just where this is all going. So this is uh, by James Pogue and Vanity Fair inside the new right where Peter Thiel is placing his biggest bets. They're not MAGA. They're not QAnon. Curtis Yarvin and the Rising Right are crafting a different strain of conservative politics. Now, just to give you a little preview of the article, like what, what, what's new about this or like the politics that they're crafting is essentially uh, the politics of people who have, you know, like a lot of the ideas wouldn't be, you know, out of place on this show. It's an idea that like, you know, America has reached like a terminal state and it's like in our inability to like govern and solve problems and that it's very hard to imagine a way out of this through traditional political means or whatever. It's, it's, it's a highly pessimistic worldview. And the one that they've adopted as a way out of it is that they kind of like, they want a kind of new monarchism. They want an American Caesar, whether it's Trump or someone like, you know, like a, like a, a teal, like, you know, techno overlord to sort of seize power and through extra constitutional means, like, you know, just simply like do away with the messiness of democracy and the sclerotic nature of the institutions that govern us and kind of like sort of change society for the better. In their mind, for the benefit of like, you know, working class families and like single income homes where you can like, you know, go to church and raise your kids in kind of like a, a clean, safe, and ordered society that is like, a, you know, that respects tradition. Now, and all these people believe that our current society is managed by, you know, what, what Curtis Yarvin uh, refers to as the cathedral. It's this kind of like self-reinforcing cast of sort of like semi-autonomous propaganda and management that is like administered by a techno, sort of like a techno-dystopian elite. And like the technology and like a lot of them, of course, also uh, really uh, admire Timothy McVeigh. Uh, no, sorry, uh, Ted Kaczynski and uh, his, uh, his, his manifesto. Here's the interesting thing, though. All of the people who, uh, you know, so it's like they want, a, they want some sort of like 
Caesar dictator or king-like figure. And all the people funding this are, in fact, the, like the very people like Peter Thiel, you know, the people who are actually technological overlords of our society. And now there's a political movement who's like, we need a new king. And someone like Peter Thiel is like, aha, <laughs> I, could, I could do that. So, I mean, like, did you guys see this article? And do you have, a, like, a, any, any thoughts on where it's going? Uh, yeah, I saw it. Um, I don't know. I think that I, I, I have a broader theory that we're locked into a dance, as uh, I talked about in an earlier episode. And a new part of that dance is going to include, like, independent online media. And because, like, cultural swings are so sudden and so quick now, I think, like, you're basically going to have one year where the cool online thing is like can be interpreted as like somewhat right shifting. And then like 18 months later, it will be back to what it was. I do think a lot of people are going to get caught up because something that could seem incredibly cool one month could be it could look like posting a Kekistan flag now. I am curious about like the size of the actual subscriber base, you know, because the thing with like billionaire, like billionaire back shit, eventually they get bored. Right. And people who don't already have a subscriber base going into it uh, and don't build one up during the period that a billionaire is funding like any type of media thing, they're going to be fucked when they get bored and go on to the next thing. It happened with the Mercer's. I mean, yeah, I, I don't think this is, like, incredibly novel stuff, nor do I think, like, you know, every single thing that I saw in there was part of, like, a grander Republican project. But I would like to see where we're at, like, two years from now with this. Well, I mean, I think, I think, I think Peter Thiel, like, uh, uh, like it does have a kind of, like, coherent political project of which he is hoping to kind of uh, become the new Koch brother for, like, a, a, a politics that is um, more amenable to a... Like, you know, uh, Morbius is um, Peter Thiel is a Morbius. He's he's a living yes. vampire. And, you know, like anything that can facilitate the flow of plasma into his system from, um, you know, from har harvesting of, you know, uh, of uh, the, the blood bags. Um, I, I think like, you know, like that that is the end goal of his politics. But like uh, to do that, let's let, just like uh, dive into the article. So uh, it says I'm just jumping into kind of like the middle of it. It says. Uh, one is Peter Thiel, the billionaire who helped fund NatCon and who had just given the conference's opening address. Thiel has also funded things like edge, uh, like the edgelordy and post-left inflected New People's Cinema Film Festival, which ended its week-long run of parties and screenings in Manhattan just a few days before NatCon began. He has long been a donor, a big donor to Republican political candidates, but in recent years, Thiel has grown increasingly involved in the politics of this younger and weirder world, becoming something like a nefarious godfather or genial rich uncle, depending on your perspective. Podcasters and art world figures now joke about their hope to get so-called Thiel bucks. His most significant recent outlays have been two young Senate candidates who are deeply enmeshed in this, in this scene and influenced by its intellectual currents. Hillbilly Elegy author J.D. Vance running for the Republican nomination in Ohio and Blake Masters in Arizona. Thiel has given more than $10 million to Super PAC supporting the men's candidacies, and both are personally close to him. Uh, so it's like, sort of skipping ahead here, it says, These three, Thiel, Vance, Masters, are all friends with Curtis Yarvin a 48-year-old ex-programmer and blogger who has done more than anyone to articulate the world historical critique and popularize the key terms of the new right. 
You'll often hear people in this world, under again, under many layers of irony, call him things like Lord Yarvin or Our Prophet. I was looking uh, around the party for Vance, who hadn't arrived yet, when Milius nudged me. That's Amanda Milius, daughter of a uh, famous screenwriter and director John Milius, uh, nudged me and pointed to a table off to our left. Why is it whenever I see Curtis, he's surrounded by a big table of incels, she asked with apparent fondness. I spotted Yarvin, a slight bespectacled man with long dark hair, drinking a glass of wine with a crowd that included Josh Hammer, the national conservatism-minded young opinion editor of Newsweek, and Michael Anton, a Machiavelli scholar and former spokesman for Trump's National Security Council. Uh, Michael Anton, you might remember, is the guy who wrote a book about how Machiavelli would dress in, in sort of modern men's fashion. Oh, yeah, and the United Flight 93 election. Yeah, 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 yeah. He, I mean, honestly, this guy, he's selling Michael Anton short. I think of him really more as a scholar of, of fashion and, you know, do's and don'ts for, like, how to wear cufflinks and uh, comb your hair. Uh, that is one, one thing I think is interesting about this article. There aren't that many new faces in it. No, not really. Like, it, it's, all, it's all kind of people that we've, like, heard from, though I guess that is just going to be part of the dance, too. It's just we're going to get the same people for 20-year stretches. Well, uh, sp speaking of people that we've heard about uh, quite a bit on this show, uh, he says, this new right is heavily populated by people with graduate degrees, so there's a lot of debate about who's in it and whether or not it even exists. At one end are the natcons, post-liberals and traditionalist, traditionalist figures like Benedict Option author Rod Dreher, who envision a conservatism reinvigorated by an embrace of localist values, religious identity, and an active role for the state in promoting everything from marriage to environmental conservation. But there's also a highly online set of Substack writers, podcasters, and anonymous Twitter posters, our true intellectual elite, as one podcaster describes them. This group encompasses everyone from rich crypto bros and tech executives to back to the landers, to disaffected members of the American intellectual class, like up-in-the-air author Walter Curran, whose fulminations against groupthink and techno-authoritarianism have made him an unlikely champion to the dissident right and heterodox fringe. Actually, I used to work with uh, Walter Curran back at LiveRight. He's a, he was a smart guy. I liked him. Um, just skipping ahead, though. All right, let's, 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 let's talk about JD. Because, you know, like, honestly, I'm going to have to eat some crow on this because I thought there was no fucking way he was going to beat Josh Mandel, and now it looks like he definitely is. So I cannot believe that. God, Trump threw him a fucking lifeboat and a half, didn't he? Yeah. I mean, it turns out, yeah, like, this whole article is about if, 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 if you have these, like, narrow choke points, like, something like a Trump endorsement, you can fixate on like a very online uh, rhetoric and politics that might not have a lot of uh, resonance beyond that, but which is going to do the work that you needed to do, which is validate you through uh, yeah, a figure like Trump. So it says, uh, Vance believes that a well-educated and culturally liberal American elite has greatly benefited from globalization, the financialization of our economy, and the growing power of big tech. This has led an Ivy League intellectual and management class, a quasi-aristocracy he calls the regime, to adopt a set of economic and cultural interests that directly oppose those people in places like Middletown, Ohio, where he grew up. In the Vancean view, this class has no stake in what people on the new right often call the real economy, the farm and factory jobs that once sustained middle-class life in America. This is a fundamental difference between new right figures like Vance and the Reaganite right-wingers of their parents' generation. To Vance, and he said this, culture war is class warfare. So, I mean, like, yeah. Like, it's very uh, convenient. Yeah, yeah. And here's the thing, like, and, like, we'll, we'll get to Blake Masters in a second. And, like, you know, Vance is talking about, like, you know, we, you know, like, uh, like, sort of rekindling like, you know, manufacturing and, 
And like, and Blake Masters has a whole thing about how we should be like, you know, ordering our economy so that we could like, have a single, a single income household and sort of like support more traditional families and sort of a, like, a, like an earlier era of American middle class life. The one thing I don't see any of these guys talking about is labor unions or raising wages or universal health care or anything like that. Um, it just well, seems I mean, to me they just keep we, saying. Yeah, you, we saw it when Chris Smalls went on Tucker, which like I, you know, A, think was a good decision. B, think Smalls did very well. But when Tucker himself went, well, you know, I'm usually against unions. <laughs> like, I mean. <laughs> There's not I there's just not that much of a fucking departure. There really isn't. And when you say cultural warfare is class warfare, that really does kind of give up the game. I mean, we're we're gonna get to Masters in a bit, who, full disclosure, I noticed was following me. So I followed him back in the in the event that he wins and you know, I can get at least one favor out of a senator. But he, someone asked him, this YouTuber asked him, like on Twitter. You're saying this stuff about like a, you should be able to support a family on one income, and I'm interested to know how you would do that. Like, what 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 changes you would propose? And he gave like, I get the best description of his answer I could give is like slightly to the center of Club for Growth. <laughs> we're, we're we're just not seeing anything here. I guess we're gonna we're gonna bring wages up by like talking about wh which professors are annoying. <laughs> Yeah, and like I, I, I guess like you know my thing is like I, I like it, it's 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 being sold at how as how kind of like weird and out there it is as compared to the rest of the right wing in this country, which like I mean they're all weirdos. They, I mean, well, all, yeah, like, but like here's the thing about this is I did read the article and it's a lot of people made fun of the fact that it opens with them talking about how uh, it's cooler. This is a cool right. People are like LOL, but. That really does speak to, I think, what the actual political program here is. Like, sure, you know, it it, it has there, there is, of course, this electoral element to it. Yeah, sure, give money to Vance, give money to Masters, get these ideas out there because that's you have to have people in the arena to uh, initiate things that you can then talk about to create like the meta discourse that makes up, uh, yeah, the, these uh, independent media sources. But I think a guy like Teal probably knows and all the all the savvy people in this thing know that like, you're not going to take over the government in this way. You're not going to change the real direction of uh, American politics. I mean, the whole point of this critique is that you can't do that, right? Like that, 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 that the machine has overtaken and that, that the, the cathedral is, is unassailable from, from outside. I mean, a lot of the people in this thing are disaffected Bernie supporters who already went through this whole thing with the Democratic Party and now are just doing it again with the Republicans. It's not about taking power, I don't think, really. I think the reason that Teal is doing this, the deep reason, is that he understands that the real solution to the culture conflict we have is not going to be one side winning and taking over. It is going to be the gradual uh, segregation. Uh, as, you know, uh, you're just you're going to have the same logic of you know uh, hyper capitalism uh, undergirding the same techno dystopia, but it's going to be branded differently, and the people are going to the people who can afford to everyone else is going to be uh, either cast into the fucking shadowlands or turned into uh, the slave class necessary to keep the thing going. The people who can can afford to are going to pick which which techno dystopia they're going to live in. And there's going to be one that's going to be filled with 
uh, hyper woke, uh, incredibly virtuous liberals. It's going to look like an Apple store and it's going to be uh, for somebody like a, a lot of these uh, di- like jaded cosmopolitan types. It would be absolutely tedious and horrible to live. Oh, my God. Can you just imagine having to genuflect to do land acknowledgements every moment? I mean, in, just to drown out the sound of like the literal human processing facilities that are going on uh, in the next room. But the other one, the other techno uh, dystopic campus is going to look like a fucking Johnny Rockets. And it's going to be filled with evangelical patio dads who are going to be tedious dullards. You need cool people to hang out with. That's what this is for, for Teal. It is getting these disaffected, mostly former left wingers who have given up on politics, getting them on board for signing off on a right wing version of the techno utopia so that they can all do coke together in their bunker. That's it. He's just looking for recruits. He's looking to hang out with because otherwise it's just him and a bunch of Mitt Romney assholes standing around in fucking uh, pressed jeans coming up to their nipples. He wants he's too him. He imagines himself too cool for that. He just wants cool guys to do blood, blood pranks with. Yeah, because there is this real crisis of like the 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 liberal hive mind is becoming genuinely hysterical at the prospect of of the future of of standing on one side of a fence watching the world die. And they're trying to make themselves okay with it, with this increasingly hysterical performance of virtue that is incredibly tedious and and unfun to hang around with if you're not captured by its logic. But the alternative are a bunch of just dumbasses, are are, are literal Neanderthalic type uh, Republicans. And that's no fun either. And so the the solution is to get people who can't hang with uh, the liberals to accept the reality, the necessity of culling the herd, the necessity of getting rid of false notions of empathy uh, and sympathy to dominating politics, uh, but are still ironic, fun, uh, can, can uh, do bits, can do spoofs and goofs are not uh, leadenly earnest and attached to some like uh, unconsidered American reactionary Christianity. Like maybe they're Catholics, but like they, they, they came through it, you know, through this, a uh, complicated intellectual process, which means that they have laundered out a lot of the, uh, yeah, a lot of the tedium of of like the lumpen American Christian, and then you can hang out and do blood pranks uh, for eternity. <laughs> Everyone, let's let's morb it up, gang. Let's 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 get morbed out here. That's it. This is the yeah. promise. Here is let's get morbed. <laughs> let's, let's get let's mor- morb it up. Let's let's stop the fantasy. If we're going to drop the fantasy that we can do anything politically, then my God, we should also drop the fantasy that we have to uh, embody some sort of virtue in our lives to make up for our position in it. Because the, the, the reality is that if you really want to be against this machine, in the, it, you have to be illegal. You have to be outside the wire. And nobody wants to do that. Nobody who's comfortable wants to sacrifice their comfort that much. And so what they're going to do instead is justify that to themselves why they deserve it and they're either going to do it by being a liberal virtue monger or by uh, uh taking the whatever the fuck color pill this is supposed to be now <laughs> well I, yeah. I do i do like the idea of being like wokeness is like a religion i'm now i'm becoming religious in response <laughs> <laughs> i mean yeah t- t- every every american who is politically engaged is pretty much the same person right 
like like pretty much exactly the same fucking person. Yes, the same person. Yeah, and you know, to that extent, I don't see why right-wingers cannot have not only their own Chapo Trap House, but then in the future, their own versions of the 8, 9, 10, 12 host podcast that failed in the wake of ours. Yeah. I think I, everyone everyone is entitled to the same thing. I think even 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 if you're a no labels guy, you should you should get that. Uh, just a, a little bit more on uh, Yarvin. Uh, uh, Pogue writes, uh, this is not a conspiracy theory like QAnon, which presupposes that there are systems of power at work that normal people don't see. This is an idea that the people who work in our systems of power are so obtuse that they can't even see they're part of a conspiracy. The fundamental premise of liberalism, Yarvin told me, is that there is this inexorable march toward progress. I disagree with that premise. He believes that this premise underpins a massive framework of power. My job, as he put it, is to wake people up from the Truman Show. It says here, that's my favorite intellectual (laughs) text. (laughs) But the winds are shifting. He told me about how he'd gone to read poetry in New York recently at the Thiel-funded NPC Fest. A bunch of lit kids showed up, he said, grinning. I'd grown into adulthood in the New York lit kid world. Even a few years ago, there was no question that anything like this could have happened. But now Yarvin is a cult hero to many in the ultra-hip crowd that you'll often hear referred to as the downtown scene. I don't even think Antifa bothered to show up, Yarvin said. What would they do? It's an art party. Yarvin has asked his new girlfriend, Lydia Lawrenson, a 37-year-old founder of a progressive magazine, to vet me. The radical, right turn her life, the radical right turn her life had taken had created complications. One of my housemates was like, I don't know if I want Curtis in our house, she told me. And I'm like, okay, that makes sense. I understand why you're saying that. Laurelson had been a well-known blogger and activist in the BDSM scene back when Yarvin was the early central early figure in a world of neo-reactionary writers, publishing his poetry and political theory on the blogger site under the name Mencius Moldbug. As Moldbug, Yarvin wrote about race-based IQ differences, and in an early post titled Why I Am Not a White Nationalist, he defended reading and linking to white nationalist writing. He told me he pursued those early writings in a spirit of open inquiry, though Yarvin also openly acknowledged in the post that some of his readers seemed to be white nationalists. Some of Yarvin's writing from then is so radically right-wing that it, may, it almost has to be read to be believed, like the time he critiqued the attacks by Norwegian far-right terrorist Anders Bering Brevik, who killed 77 people, including dozens of children at a youth camp, not on the grounds that terrorism is wrong, but because the killings wouldn't do anything effective to overthrow what Yarvin called Norway's communist government. Uh, he says he's tempered himself in middle age, and now he says, as a rule, uh, he now says he has a rule to never say anything unnecessarily controversial or go out of my way to be provocative for no reason. He considers himself a reactionary, not just a conservative. He thinks it is impossible for an Ivy League educated person to really be a conservative. He has consistently argued that conservatives waste their time and political energy on fights over issues like gay marriage or critical race theory because liberal ideology holds sway in the important institutions of prestige media and academia, an intertwined nexus he calls the cathedral. He developed a theory to explain the fact that America has lost its so-called state capacity. His explanation for why it so often seems that that it is not actually capable of governing anymore. The power of the executive branch has slowly devolved into an oligarchy of the educated who care more about competing for status within the system than they do about America's national interest. Now, like I said, with, with, with Yarvin, it's just like, okay, it's like, so he has this like sort of totalizing critique about how, like, even if you think you can escape the cathedral or fight it, you're, you're inside of it. And it's also telling that like a lot of these guys like Teal himself or J.D. Vance are also Ivy League educated you know, uh, homework doers themselves. So, 
like you know of not of, of of a total pessimism about politics, but Yarvin's thing is like you can't you can't just have like pure nihilism. So like he's holding out hope uh, for some sort of massive crisis that, like I said, will lead to like an, an American Caesar like figure sort of just taking power and administering, uh, you know, uh, like just reordering society in a way that like uh, that that escapes this current paradigm. Yeah, that's that, he doesn't really believe that. I don't think any of them really believe that's going to happen. It's it's the it's the it's the horizon that you fantasize about to justify staying where you are now, going to fucking uh, uh, fancy coke parties and stuff. What we all do to 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 justify not coming into fatal conflict with the state for our politics, which is the only real affirmation of uh, any value now. Because yes, everything else gets absorbed. We know that. So the only way you can stay where you are and feel any any kind of uh, satisfaction with it is if you fantasize about some future uh, uh, cataclysm that's going to fix everything. But you know that's not going to happen. It's just going to keep slowly devolving. The center of politics is going to dissolve, and regions of power are going to rise uh, and, and over and and solidify. And the the economic logic is going to be the same everywhere because the economic logic is the actual unassailable thing here. And also, you challenged. Do you remember the uh, like the trend pieces about us in like the first year that we were a show? Like yeah. before, before the pieces were like you know putting Matt on the front page of the New York Times in a fedora <laughs> uh, when they were positive. I'm I, I I am I am moved by the similarity because uh, when Yarvin talks about going to the NPC fest where. I, I would have gone if I could have met some of my favorite characters from Skyrim, if it's a real NPC <laughs> fest. But uh, the the thing where it's like, oh, uh, for the first time in a while, there were like hip young kids there. It, it, I mean, how many words were written about how, you know, and not making an equivalence between these entirely, but like, oh, DSA meetings used to be like a bunch of 65-year-olds who would pass a non-binding resolution every year who would say Hugo Chavez was a dictator and not a real socialist. Now all these cool young people are here. There's probably like a, you know, now this is the new feature and the swing of our culture will be like whoever is 23 at the time, 10,000 of them will either be like involved in some rightward shifting culture or a leftward shifting subculture and that'll just that is another part of the dance and as that become as that swings more frequently any shared space in american life whatever dwindling shared space and shared culture will continue to get fragmented and destroyed to to the point that um i guess there will be two patreons two disney's two netflix's two of everything yeah. And Matt, to your point about like uh, what's truly unassailable is like the, you know, the economic logic, that, which, by the way, will benefit Peter Thiel regardless. Yeah. Like he he's getting his plasma bags service to him, you know, like he stands to benefit regardless. And in fact, would only stand to lose if there ever were any kind of cataclysmic overturning of uh, order in American society. Um, it's just I think he is committed ideologically like to a certain kind of conservatism. But I think it's just like, and I think he's you know using his money I think uh, pr- pretty smartly to uh, promote and advance that idea. But I think I think what's really going on here is like he wants a philosophy, a kind of a court philosophy for the lead or the kind of like the great man of history that he imagines himself to be, and he wants it like a, a kind of like a, his own Machiavelli to like to the Medici family to say that like oh 
our horrible, our horrible uh, te technologically administered dystopia uh, needs a man like you, a technological overlord. <laughs> you just keep doing what you're already doing, Peter. Yeah, that's what everybody is shopping for, a politics that will kill them, that whatever you're doing now, whatever feels good to you right now is what you should be doing. And that's great. Everybody will find that. And, it, and which one they pick is, is really going to come down to just uh, individual aesthetic preferences, the, 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 the community they find themselves among. And that's going to be the extent of it. I mean, he says he wants to make people to like realize they're in the Truman Show. Well, then what? Just tell each other? Just post about how they're on the fucking Truman Show? Just, just uh, tell each other that, well, you know, uh, now that I know, I'm going to let everybody else know. Even though me knowing just led me to do what I was doing anyway. <laughs> Even yeah, though no, I didn't yeah. change a goddamn thing about what I do with my life now that I know. I'm going to tell everybody else, assuming that if enough of us know, we're all going to change our behavior, even though none of us have. What is the conservative version of what will, what will your role be after the revolution? <laughs> I guess we're, we're all going to be yeoman farmers, I'm right? Gonna be, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm going to be a therapist that helps people deal with their trauma of being in public school. No, you know what they're going to do? They're all going to be uh, yeoman farmers. They're all going to have uh, like 40 acres. They're going to have a barefoot and pregnant wife. They're gonna gonna go out and and plow their fields and come home to a big country breakfast in the metaverse. It's gonna be starving <laughs> fucking valley. That is gonna be their Great. that's gonna be their blood and soil fantasy that they're gonna get to live out. I can't wait for the I can't wait for the culture war between the people who are um, living in the Chaz multiverse. Uh, the yes, the, exactly. It's the, the, the Chaz multiverse. It's going to be like the, Mayberry, the, 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 the Mayberry uh, uh, metaverse, the Chaz metaverse. Everyone's going to be. They're, they're going to have to fight each other because you need conflict to resolve. Oh yeah, to resolve the anxiety and the misery of knowing that at the end of the day you're still on the fucking computer. Well, yeah, okay. So there's going to be the Chaz metaverse. There will be the ML one where somehow everyone is designing uniforms for the Red Army. Uh, <laughs> the based metaverse. And then there's still going to be like a club for growth, like Mitt Romney metaverse. But then there has to be a like one big one, like the last shared space in America. Uh, it, w it will be basically like the Spanish Civil War of yeah. the metaverse where all these sides fight. And I got to say, look, if anyone wants smoke with the Chapo metaverse and the upcoming meta cultural war, just know that I have I've spent just months preparing by strafing thousands upon thousands of meta John Candies with meta Gatling guns from A10 <laughs> Warthogs. I tried I've, been to, I, I've, been, I've been strafing John Candy's positions in the metaverse with brutal and lethal efficiency. So if the mold bug metaverse wants smoke, we got it. I went into the shared metaverse to do combat with Michael Anton, who's in a mech suit, and my equipment load was too high and I fat rolled through the floor, <laughs> and now I'm just clipping underneath the metaverse for eternity it really sucks uh yeah no, no. Uh, uh the, the q metaverse is gonna be the fun one because yeah that'll just oh, be God, shooting yes. celebrities <laughs> in the face the q be metaverse like gta is... in like uh at the oscars the q metaverse is amazing oh my god that's the ma that's the real matrix like the the stuff in like the ml or Chaz or like based metaverse is just like it's imitations of uh, different lives people have lived that just aren't really remembered even but the q metaverse is going to be like you know the best operator of the day gets the sacred crystal that winston churchill's soul is trapped inside of 
oh, you're the oh, you're the citizen of the day because Ryan O'Neill visited you in your dream and told you you have to execute <laughs> Celine Dion. <laughs> that will be amazing. Uh, just a little bit more of color from the uh, the Vanity Fair article. Uh, uh, it just says, up by the bar every night, hordes of young men, mostly, would descend to drink and bear hug and spot favorite podcasters and writers. You could see Dave Rubin and Jack Murphy, who hosts a popular new rightish YouTube channel and is trying to build a fraternal group of men who believe in positive masculinity that he calls the liminal order. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much everyone had the same trimmed beard and haircut, sides buzz short, uh, the top longer and combed with a little bit of gel to one side. I mean, honestly, it sounds like a Chapo show, except I wouldn't I would never proclaim to support anything called the liminal order and uh, the, the hair is slightly longer. Well, yeah, I mean, I mean, we support it, we support positive masculinity on this show. That's and true. Liminality. Uh, maybe not liminally, but I, I, I do support it. I'm, I'm a I, fan of liminality myself. OK. All right. I mean, Our listeners do have, uh, they have all told me that they're afraid of going to the barber for fear, <laughs> fear that they'll be made fun of. All right, let's get, to, uh, let's get to the part where he talks to uh, Blake Masters. So uh, he says, a few weeks after NatCon, I drove from California to Tucson to meet Masters, a very tall, very thin, very fit 35-year-old. I wanted to see how all this might translate into an actual election campaign. And I'd been watching a lot of Fox News, including Yarvin's streaming interview with Carlson, in which he gave a squirreling depiction of how the cathedral produced its groupthink. Why do Yale and Harvard always agree on everything, he asked. These organizations are essentially branches of the same thing, he told a mesmerized Carlson. You're like, where are the wires? He sketched his vision of, as he calls it, a constitutional regime change that would take back power from this oligarchy. So diffuse, most people hardly even knew it was there. That's what makes it so hard to kill, he said. And uh, because it's so hard to kill, it also uh, removes from the responsibility of actually killing it. He's saying that, like, Harvard and Yale should fight each other. <laughs> that like, would be I awesome. I'm kind of stuck yeah. on that. Like, 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 should Harvard and Yale be like, no, we have two different versions of, like, physics. No, our, <laughs> land, acknowledge our land acknowledgement is better than yours. Uh, I, I suppose in his world, they'd, they'd be fighting over who owned more slaves um, when they were founded and that, why that was a good thing. I don't know. Yeah, I just I don't know what he means by that. Maybe he explains it. Well, I think he's saying is that like Harvard and Yale, they're they're competing right for a student body, so they should embody uh, competing political ideologies. Well, I mean, so, that's, yeah, that's, like Harvard is doing land acknowledgments, and then Yale should be like doing sort of a land uh, end zone dance. <laughs> Where like, hey, should, uh, yeah. hey, the Nassapequa Indians suck my dick. We got your land, and then well, everyone, I mean, like. Uh, does the it's, tomahawk chop or something? Yeah, Harvard should colonize new land. It's it's in the article, but like another another part of Yarvin's idea is that like after the American Caesar takes over or following some sort of like uh, crisis that or cataclysm, that uh, they should run America like a startup. So this is um, hmm. um this is the level of this is uh like I said a, a very a very dangerous and uh, certainly and radical ideas that I find quite frightening. Yeah, I haven't heard ideas this bold since the Republican Revolution of 1994. <laughs> just, wait, the government should be run like a business? What? No way. Next year, wait. If if even one of these new terrifying national national nationalistic conservatives, if even one of them cracks the code on how the government should have a budget like a family does then oh we're fucked. It's over for us. My God, yeah. a president who has an MBA? Could you imagine? Did you, did you guys know that when Hitler was looking for Santa Claus in Antarctica to find esoteric knowledge, he found ancient ruins that depicted a balanced budget amendment? <laughs> 
at a coffee shop near the house he'd bought when he moved back home to Tucson from the Bay Area, Masters and I went through the tenets of his nationalist platform. Onshoring industrial production, slashing legal immigration, regulating big tech companies, and eventually restructuring the economy so that one salary would be enough to raise a family on. I mentioned Yarvin and his line of arguing that America's system had become so sclerotic that it was hopeless to imagine making big systematic changes like these. In a system where the state capacity is very low, I started the question, alas, he said with a twinkle in his eye. Do we need a crisis to get there, I asked him. Maybe, 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 he said. It wasn't where uh, his immediate thinking was. I'll have the proverbial machete, he said. But yeah, it may take some time of crisis to get us there. He'll have the proverbial machete. <laughs> he just wants to make that clear. He will, he will be, again, he'll be chopping the tall trees in the fucking metaverse. He'll be doing digital gardening. He paused. But we're already sort of in one, right? Masters often says he's not as black-pilled and pessimistic as some in the, new, in the new right spheres. He seems, unlike many new writers, to still earnestly believe in the power of electoral politics. But he does think that the culturally liberal and free market ideology that has guided America's politics in recent years is a hopeless dead end. A country is not just an economy, Masters told the dissident right outlet I Am 1776 recently. <laughs> Wait, I Am 1776. That's the sequel to That's... I Am Sam. <laughs> it stars the same main character. Wait, it's like, I, I just like, once again, this is like the dissident new right, and the name of this outlet is like the spirit of 1776. <laughs> uh, you also need a conception of yourself as a nation, as a people, and as a culture. And that's what America is increasingly lacking today. It's true that I'm incredibly hopeful, he said to me. I think it's really bleak. I think the default is continued stagnation, and maybe you get the crisis in five years, or maybe it's 30 years from now. He told me like he, he didn't like to use terms like the cathedral and use the regime less often than Vance, although I later noted that he used this latter phrase frequently with interviewers on the dissident right. The regime sounds sexy, right? He said to me, it's a tangible enemy. You could just grapple with it in the right way. You can topple it. And I think it's actually just a lot less sexy and a lot more bureaucratic, he said. But I've read that stuff, and I see what it means. He goes... We drove together to a campaign event talking about everything from how technology is reshaping our brains to environmental policies, both of us circling from different political directions to an apocalyptic place. I do think we're at a moment of crossroads, he said, and if we play it wrong, it's the dark ages. Masters has publicly said he thinks everyone should read the Unabomber's anti-tech manifesto, Industrial Society and Its Future, which may sound strange for a young tech executive running to serve in the United States Senate. But to Masters, Kaczynski's critique was a useful analysis of how technology shapes our world and how degrading and debasing it can be to human lives. I think it's so interesting, like I said, like, that, like these guys love Ted, Ted Kaczynski and like they're talking about the ways in which I think they read him because like that's a very smart book to read if you were take, looking to become a like tech billionaire or millionaire. Because like, I, I, th I think they read it as an instruction manual about how technology can debase and degrade human life for fun and profit. I think, well, I kind of think that, like, Ted Kaczynski's work for, like, right-wingers and m more aptly, like, dissident right kind of online figures, that is, um, that's the Ibrahim Kendi book for them. Yeah. <laughs> because they, like, they all love reading it and being like, oh, my God, he's so right. And then, like, on the screens, 28 hours a fucking day. <laughs> it's the exact same thing. He goes, uh, I asked whether he thought the core of his project was a fight against a consumerist techno dystopia that many on the left have also come to fear. He said, yes. I asked why, if that was the case, it almost never came across in his mainstream media appearances. That's interesting feedback, he said, that it's not coming through. 
I go on and it's the tail end of a B block and I've got two minutes to talk about Kyle Rittenhouse, he said earlier, talking about his spots on Fox News. And it's like, well, the left is insane and this kid shouldn't have been on trial and they're punishing him for being a white guy who defended himself with an AR-15. Conservative media seems to thrive on culture war touch points as much as all the rest of it. I feel like I'm willing to go there, he said, but you can't do that on Laura Ingram's sound bites. He was a little less rosy about the future with some interviewers than he was with me. We need someone with their hand on the tiller who understands where we've been and where we need to go, he told the podcaster Alex uh, Kashuda recently. Otherwise, we will totally get owned by the progressive left. And the progressive left just remains the enemy. It's the enemy of true progress. It's the enemy of everything that is good. I asked if he could give me a vision of what he thought victory for his side would look like. It's just families and meaningful work, he said, so that you can raise your kids and worship and pursue your hobbies and figure out what the meaning of it all is. In the metaverse. Yeah, yeah. Pretty much anyone could agree with this and pretty much anyone could wonder how it is that this sort of thing has come to seem radical or distant from the lives of so many people growing into adulthood today. It just feels so networked, he said. It's so in the matrix. So once again, it's like uh, that's the cathedral right there because the metaphors you use to describe your technological impression are the products of that same engine of cultural reproduction. Yeah. I mean, the thing that they're trying to that every, honestly, everybody is, is trying to do more than anything is reject the uh, and deny the unassimilatable truth that we're, everyone's the same. Everybody yeah. has turned in, been turned into in practice, like in their habits and preferences in every meaningful way into the same person. And that, that politics is just a way to imagine oneself differently enough to assuage the anxiety of that, of that, uh, that process of homogenization. Yeah. That is why politics is for freaks because only freaks cannot reconcile the fact that they are the same. All right. And just, uh, finally, let's get to, get to him talking to JD Vance. So he says, a couple of hours later, I found Vance standing up by the bar, surrounded by a circle of young and identical-looking fanboys. I went over. He asked what I thought of the speech, and he suggested we find somewhere to talk. He asked me to turn my recorder off so we could speak candidly. I agreed with regret because the conversation revealed someone who I think will be hugely influential in our politics in the coming years, even if he loses his Senate primary, as both of us thought was possible. It also revealed someone who is in a dark place with a view that we are at an anonymous turning point in American history. He didn't want to describe this to me on the record, but I can show it anyway because he already says it's publicly and you can hear it too. That night, I went up to my hotel room and listened to a podcast interview Vance had conducted with Jack Murphy, the big bearded head of the liminal order men's group. Murphy asked how it was that Vance proposed to rip out America's leadership class. Vance described two possibilities that many on the new right imagine that our system will either fall apart naturally or that a great leader will assume semi-dictatorial powers. So there's this guy, Curtis Yarvin, who has written about some of these things, Vance said. Murphy chuckled knowingly. So one option is to basically accept that this entire thing is going to fall on itself, Vance went on. And so the task of of the conservatives right now is to preserve as much as can be preserved, waiting for the inevitable collapse of the current order. He said he thought this was pessimistic. I I tend to think we should seize the institutions of the left, he said, and turn them against the left. We need a debathification program, a de-wokeification program. But again, like, I just have to ask, like, what, like, what would that actually look like, seizing the institutions of the left? Like, I don't know, like, uh, that, would, that would take some sort of uh, dictatorial uh, process. I mean, that would take well, some it, sort of... It, it cannot be done. What it can be done is, as Felix says, is creating parallel versions of them that are right. separate and probably headquartered in a different geographic area. Yeah, Austin the, the, versus the San Francisco. The fantasy of conquering the center it will never happen. The center will just dissolve. 
And then you will just have to create mirrored versions of these institutions held by your people. That's, that's the closest thing to power that can really be pursued, but you can't really pursue that because we still all have to maintain the kayfabe that this is going to maintain it. Uh, the structure of like a single social unit, which it already isn't. Yeah. And if you look, if you debathify Harvard or Yale, if you dewokeify them, you're just going to start the woke state of Cambridge, Massachusetts. <laughs> okay. And you don't like your, your troops will be captured and made to do land acknowledgements on camera. I mean, All your like, barefoot and pregnant women will be kept in cages. <laughs> I mean, I guess like, uh, I mean, just like just reading the way like that these guys, um, you know, like like in, from from a bird's eye view, like the the generally pessimistic view that they have of like American society and like the uh, political, economic, and cultural institutions that govern us, I think is broadly shared by like people on the left and right. You know, so like I'm, I'm just like, you know, what I mean, like it, it's just like I mean, their their prescriptions for it, I think, are ludicrous, but. I, I think that they're like, like you said at the beginning about like, you know, people going from left to right is like the oldest, oldest thing in the book. It happens all the time. And I think it's just a matter of like how much you want to like feel like a loser as things continue to get worse and worse. Yeah. How like, you want to like, feel how, like you're in charge somehow. Yeah, exactly. That you're participating in something that you're not just having history roll over you. So uh, to that, as he says, we are in a late Republican period, Vance said, evoking the common new right view of America as Rome awaiting its Caesar. If we are going to push back against it, we're going to have to get pretty wild and pretty far out there and go in directions that a lot of conservatives right now are uncomfortable with. I mean, like, again, like left unsaid is like, what, what are those directions that like the, the current conservative movement would be uncomfortable with? Is it strengthening? It certainly isn't strengthening labor unions or anything like universal health care, which might actually ameliorate the problems about, you know, like starting families and having a single income household or whatever, or like having meaningful work or having work that doesn't drain you of like your sense of like, like what, like what master said about like meaningful work that like, you know, gives you the ability to like, you know, live life on your own and sort of figure out what the meaning of it all is. Well, I mean, like that's not the way things are going now. And it's certainly not being uh, helped along the way by Peter, people like Peter Thiel or Jeff Bezos or fucking Bill Gates. And, you know, like that's like left, right and center, whatever you want to say, like the, the billionaires, the people who own everything, like the, it doesn't seem like they're interested in making a world where uh, people have more free time to uh, decide for themselves what they believe in and what the meaning of the universe is. I mean, what they're describing, the fantasy is, is what liberalism has always lied about um, uh, creating, which is the communist fucking utopia, which is the, which is the post capitalist order. Where you can hunt in the morning and, and fucking criticize after dinner and all that shit. Like that's always is the only horizon in a uh, modern context where we can't, uh, you know, go back to uh, some sort of uh, prelapsarian era where we have to, we assume we have to move forward. Moving forward means abolishing capitalism collectively. But like the 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 chance to do that, I think a lot of people are coming to realize uh, has passed the 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 social tools to challenge capitalism meaningfully from the center uh, have been totally destroyed, and so all that's left is creating fantasies that the particular flavor of capitalist you know nightmare dystopia that's uh, assimilating the entire globe uh, will actually, if my people are are involved with it and they throw enough stanky memes on it going to somehow uh, overcome the underlying economic logic that is driving the entire fucking process. Um, yeah. 
I, w- I, I can't wait for their version of 2017 uh, where you have to, uh, instead of luxury space gay communism, luxury space heterosexual basedism, that there's going to be so that there's going to be a post scarcity world where everyone can be based, <laughs> where everyone everyone will be friends. Mm-hmm. Yeah, everyone gets friends. Yeah, Every, everyone has friends. Uh, but just like uh, just just wrapping it up here, like in terms of this uh, dy- dystopian uh, world that, that that we're all imagining here, he says, um, "I'd a- I'd ask Vance to tell me on the record what he'd like liberal Americans who thought that what he was proposing was a fascist takeover of America to understand." He spoke earnestly. I think the cultural world you operate in is incredibly biased, he said, against the, uh, his movement and the leaders of it, like me in particular. <laughs> so it's just like, yeah, the people who politically oppose me are biased against my worldview and would, would actually um, seek to prevent me from leading it. Okay. He goes, on to say, yeah, he goes on to say, uh, he encouraged me to resist this tendency, which he thought was the product of a media machine leading us towards a soulless dystopia that none of us want to live in. That impulse, he said, is fundamentally in service of something that is far worse than anything in your wildest nightmares than what you see here. Okay, but again, like, I would like, I, I wish James Pogue or someone would have, like, get, get him to sketch out, okay, like, what is the worst, scenario? like, what is the scenario you're talking about here? Is it just more of the same? Because, like, that's a nightmare scenario to me, too. But, like, I mean, he, he's, he's waving away that, like, I, I, know, I know a fascist takeover of America um, seems disturbing to you. But if we don't do it, the end result is going to be something really scary for you. And I, well, I, like, I, yeah. I would have liked him to, like, just, just I want to I hear that. I wanna, just let's, let's get wild here. I want to hear this fantasy scenario play out. I don't think it's, like, I, I, I don't think it's, like, that different from anything you've seen them describe. I think it would be, like... You know, bug world. Your job is Bitcoin mining for Facebook, like as as we've as we've made fun of uh, that type of thing. But also, like there are just woke prosecutors everywhere, and you're just crying, just nonstop crime. Like one crime happens to every one person every week. I guess that would be it. It like a version of San Francisco where it's mandated that you eat bugs and live in the pod, right? Uh, I gotta say, uh, living under the uh, techno globo homo bug pod regime seems categorically more pleasant to me than. It's not any different. Things. It seems yeah. better to you because you will it, you will enjoy it through this like a cultural screen that will be more uh, pleasant for you. It'll be the same thing. There will be no meaningful difference to anybody who's like on on the on the wrong side of this. It's the same experience of immiseration, misery, destruction, death. And in the center, the lucky people, it's the same experience of total spiritual exsanguination. It's just whether it will be told, the story that will tell you about what's happening will make you feel like you are participating, that you are somehow uh, like uh, in charge of your life, and that justice in some way is being meted out. That will be, and that, those will be just different modules for the same program that's going to be running everywhere. Basically, just like to end the article, uh, J.D. Vance has a hangover. That's how the article ends. And uh, he says, um, if what he was doing worked, he said, it will mean that my son grows up in a world where his masculinity, his support of his family and his community, his love of his community is more important than whether it works for fucking McKinsey. So, you know, I, 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 hope, that's, I, hope, that, I hope that J.D. Vance's son doesn't have to work for McKinsey. But so, you I mean, that, that, that's something we can agree on. That is the world you can live in if you want to. Like it's your priority. That's your priority. Whether like your love for your family means more than if you work for McKinsey, 
that that is entirely up to you, personally. Well, that's a. I don't want to end on some a, interesting a, ideas. A, a, I don't want to end on a, a totally depressing note, but I mean, like it's like I said, there's, this 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 pessimism and this this kind of like fear that we all have. Um, it's coming from the same place, and yeah, I don't know. I thought I, I thought it was an interesting article. I do that. That I'm kind of stuck on that McKinsey line because that's such a tell for. I mean, like this in general, but very specifically Vance. I mean, like if you, <laughs> no one tricked you into thinking the other thing, which is the yeah. thing that Vance thought for, I guess, the first 35 fucking years of his life, because he wrote a book about how everyone he's ever known is a fucking loser. He's the man for going to work for something that's really the same as McKinsey in Teal and going to Yale, all these institutions he hates now, he, that you weren't, I mean, I guess you were tricked into that in the sense that like anyone is tricked into believing anything, but like, again, entirely up to you. I look forward to JD Vance's fourth or fifth personality change during January 6th too in six years. Yeah. Any, any, any closing thoughts? Cause I think that about uh, wraps it up for the uh, Vanity Fair article and uh, today's episode. How was the uh, Steven Donziger release party, Will? Oh, well, I mean, it was, uh, I, had a gr- I had a great time. I, last night I moderated a panel with uh, Steven Donzinger and uh, Chris Smalls. And I don't know if that was recorded or not. If it was, uh, we'll, we'll release it. But I mean, I guess like, uh, not to end on a totally uh, note of absolutely suicidal depression, but I mean, the way I opened it and the way I connected the two of them is like, you know, like, like I said, this this bleakness and despair that like I feel like everyone has felt for like the last two or three years. Uh, there are like very few, very few like bright points of things that give you reason to like, if if not like, I'm because I'm not selling like a message of like, oh, it's it's hope, you know, like uh, something could come of this because like I mean, who knows? We just have to take things as they come. But just like the simple pleasure of seeing uh, someone good rack up a W against like the most evil and powerful forces in the world. And uh, Stephen and Stephen and Chris were both great, and I guess like I, I mean I closed out the uh, the Q and A thing with just like like I said this this feeling of despair and this like, this fear we all have that like you know the world is ending. I think like you know it just it's sort of like the the Adam Curtis thing like the way out of this trap is helping other people or to say it like in a less simple way like a a, a belief and a struggle for something bigger than yourself on behalf of other people and a belief that in doing so if you like meaningfully challenge power like you you may lose everything and probably will but like it is it is a belief that it like that, that it is possible like that a future exists and i think that's the kind of crisis that we are dealing with right now culturally is that like nobody not just they don't imagine a future, it's just that we like live in this eternal present where the past just recreates itself over and over again in increasingly shitty ways. And I think it's this, this paralysis that we all have of like not being able to imagine a future or imagine anything different. And you know, for, for, for Stephen and what Chris Smalls did, I think they're you know, two examples of individuals you know, who did meaningfully challenge real power in a real way, and in Chris's case, unambiguously won, and in Donzinger's case, yeah, he lost a thousand days of his freedom, but I think you know Gibson Dunn and Chevron um, did not get what they wanted out of his prosecution and uh, the, what they put him through. And I, I think they did not achieve their intended goals. So I mean, like I said, like I don't want to um, just like you know have everyone be uh, uh, riding the riding the hope train, 
But I mean, like there, there are re- like you know these are these are two examples, and I was very honored to share a stage with them of uh, just two men who uh, have stood up on behalf of the right thing and uh, succeeded. And I hope that they inspire other people to do so because I think the only way out of our individual fear of being really just like totally naked against like the most powerful forces in the world or just being ground down every day further and further and feeling unable to stop it. I think the only way out of that fear is other people is working with other people and like working with them towards a tangible goal and like a collective struggle for something, for something that you believe in. So absolutely. That's that's yeah, that's that, that that's my way of ending this episode. And that's how I that's how I ended uh, last night's talk with Chris and Steven. Yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah, no, absolutely. I know that we we Matt said this uh way earlier, uh sometime last year, and this is even more true now because of everything that has happened since then. But the fact that you cannot predict anything in the world that no one no one in any type of power seems like a rational actor that you legitimately do not know what is going to happen next that can and often is a horrifying thing but it does not always have to be and despite that uncertainty you to whatever your capacity this means can operate with the hope that the future good or bad is not totally written and you know, it's just like um, just just a, a final final thought on this. I, I was also at the uh, Stevens rally on Monday in front of his apartment, like the first time he was able to like freely walk outside his his apartment building for the first time in about three years, and ex- except to go to like a halfway house or like check ins or things like that. Um, what th- I think Chris Small said is that he said like when Amazon fired him, he was like, "I lost my health care, I lost my job, I'm unemployed. Like the pandemic just happened, nobody's hiring. I really have nothing to lose." So I'm going to make this my job now. And he stayed at that bus station for a year, you know, uh, signing up people and just talking to other workers at, the, at that Amazon facility. And eventually, you know, won, won against Amazon. And I think, like, the thing is, like, and, and Donzinger's case is another perfect example of this. It's just, like, how, could, how the, like, I know America was fucked up, but, like, the fact that, like, a, 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 a judge appointed a private law firm to prosecute an American citizen, regardless of what they're accused of, um, is chilling. And it's a vision of the future that is in store for all of us. And it's this feeling that, like, there's no one coming to help us. Like, no matter how cynical you are about politics, the most cynical of us still have some, some belief or, or placing our chips on this idea, just like Moldbug and all those guys are, that there's just some, some figure is going to come and change everything. Or, or right the wrongs and punish the bad people and like change things and make it better. People still have that hope. And it is a terrifying thing to realize that there really is no one in power who is going to have your back or who's going to protect you at all. But it's also a very liberating idea because it means that it truly is in your hands. And it, but if it's in just your hands, then you will fail and then you will become disillusioned and like, you know, become you know, like I said, like, go, I think more likely to go down this path of like, you know, sort of like right wing nationalist nihilism, whatever, whatever was in that article that we just read. I, I think, but if you do like is it through other people, you will not feel alone and you, you stand some chance of, like, like I said, protecting yourself or doing something because no one else is going to do it for you. Whether or whether or not the American Napoleon or Gaddafi is out there, he still wants you to get to work. So act, act like he's coming, he's coming to do inspections tomorrow, pal. <laughs> uh, 
All right. And uh, yeah, once again, and congratulations to uh, Stephen Donziger on his freedom. Uh, so I'm, I'm very happy for him. He was, uh, uh, Wednesday night was the first time he'd been in Brooklyn in three years. And, uh, yeah, so he yeah, immediately a- asked to be taken back. <laughs> Did he get a chopped cheese from a bodenga? <laughs> yeah. He was quoted as saying, I'm spreading love. It's the Brooklyn way. <laughs> uh, yeah, so uh, I think that's a good place to leave it for today. So cheers, fellas. Bye-bye. Cheers. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.